Thank you for listening to the Bible preaching ministry of Dr. Tim Pollock at the Home Church of Lodi, California. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. Our prayer is that this message from God's Word will renew your heart and mind today. Today is Family Dedication Sunday. This is the sweetest Sunday of the year. Nothing can compare to the beauty of seeing these wonderful families purposing to raise their God-given children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And so it is a joy to be here on this day. With that being said, if you are planning to dedicate your baby or child to the Lord, at the end of the message, we have a prayer time. And as we begin that, uh, you're welcome to go to the children's department, the nursery, pick up your child, bring them back to the auditorium, and then we'll have that little part of the service at the end. Today, six aspects of a joyful Now, should God bless you with the privilege of marriage, then with having children, there is one thing you can be sure of. The things that you thought you once knew about relationships and marriage and family will soon be tested. And if you're smart, you will learn early on to seek God for His guidance. Wise parents... Wise husbands and wives direct themselves, direct their children to always seek God in everything, to know Him, to walk in obedience to His ways. God designed that the family, and specifically marriage, to be the number one priority in our earthly lives. Of course, outside of our relationship to the Lord. For decades now, I have watched as families have prioritized different activities and pursuits. I have watched as some families have built their family unit around sports, perhaps soccer or softball. For others, it was political pursuits as a family. And then for still others, it was they were intent on science and nature and knowing things like that. And then there are those that for them, it's all about education. We've got to make sure that we prioritize education in our family. Others, it was music. And for them, boy, that's just everything. Now, all of these things really are decent, good, even wholesome things to do. And when in the right priority, can be certainly done. But as a young pastor, I remember watching all of this and course, being concerned about the spiritual welfare of families and marriages, it seemed like a lot of times those things were out of balance. It appeared that they were, however acceptable those pursuits were, it appeared to me that at times they were putting them in the wrong priority. But now, five decades later, I can say, not only with a biblical foundation, which I had in that day, but with experience, and frankly, the evidence is overwhelming. With assurance, I say this, nothing, absolutely nothing beats a Christ-centered church and a church-centered family for the best 
possible outcome of a marriage and a family. Absolutely nothing even comes close. Chuck Swindoll said, whatever else may be said of the home, it is the bottom life of the bottom line of life, the anvil upon which attitudes and convictions are hammered out. It is the place where life's bills come due, the single most influential force in our earthly existence. Now, as a pastor, there are topics that are really a joy to weigh in on. And to be frank, there are other topics that aren't so easy, but you preach them anyway trusting you faithfully honor the Lord when you do so. But that being said, I can't think of a topic that isn't more dear to my heart than the subject of marriage and the home. Now, having said that, I do not in any way presume that we've always done things perfectly. No way. But I can say we love the Lord. And I can say we love each other. And I can say that my manual has been the Word of God. And so as we're approaching the holiday season, and next Sunday we have this amazing outreach day with the Irwins uh, here both morning and evening, and Brother Dennis Irwin preaching in the morning and a mini concert and then a full concert in the evening. Great outreach day. And hopefully everybody will come, invite somebody. But then um, as we go through the holidays, I've been thinking that maybe I would preach a couple more messages or so on the home. And then I would like to turn our attention to the life of Christ. And then we'll go through the book of Revelation in January. And then perhaps in February, we'll come back with the commands of Christ. Because there's still so many more wonderful commands to look at. And so it is a privilege and an honor to bring several messages on the home. And specifically, if you're wondering where I'm going, you can actually get the book that I wrote on the home. Because the messages will come out of there. Now, let me say as we begin this morning, I'm aware that the topic of marriage and the topic of the family can be sensitive for some. The realities of life is that it may not have turned out how you would have hoped for it to. Your dreams perhaps have been broken, and now, unfortunately, but yet uh, wonderfully, you are a rebuilder. You're purposing to make something of your life, and that's good. Others have mates that are in heaven, others have parents that are in heaven, but regardless of our circumstances, that's the amazing thing about the Word of God. The Bible says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. So if all Scripture comes from God and it's profitable, then I encourage you this morning to listen, regardless of your circumstances. And if the topic is a little painful, use that passion to turn to prayer for God, for Him to work in the hearts of others around you, in marriages and in families. The fact of the matter is, these are biblical principles. And because they're biblical principles, they're relational principles. And may God bless our offering this morning. Marriage, a realistic definition. Marriage is when you agree to spend the rest of your life sleeping in a room that's too warm, besides someone who's sleeping in a room that's too cold. Well said. Well, I trust today that our hearts certainly won't be cold as we receive this message hot from heaven. And so today, let's pray. Father, thank you for this truth. 
Lord, what a privilege to be here in this place. What a glorious privilege. How my heart has been thrilled already with the sweet fellowship and the happy faces and the wonderful worship times, the prayers. Lord, already I feel like I'm just full, full. Oh, my Lord, thank you for filling my cup up. And now, Lord, I love your word, and I love these people. Lord, I pray that you'll meet with us today. May your glory and your power be seen in the sanctuary. In Jesus' name, amen. As wonderful as children are, the most precious of all human relationships, according to Scripture, is marriage. Back when God wanted to illustrate his relationship to his people, Israel, he said it's like a marriage. And then they continue that in the New Testament when Jesus was talking about his church and he said it is his bride. Because marriage is the most unique of all relationships in that it is the only relationship that is one flesh. God starts the narrative on the institution of marriage, the God-given institution of marriage early. In the very first book of the Bible, let's go to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24. Here God is speaking to this world and speaking to us. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother. Don't you love scripture, how definite it is? It's so powerful. And shall cleave. That's one of the things I like about the beauty of the King James language. Shall. That's, that's a very definite word there. And shall cleave unto his wife. And they shall be one flesh. God created Eve from a rib. Adam's. She was part of him. In fact, therefore, they were one flesh. A body cannot be divided. It is always a whole. There's never a hand here and a foot over here and a head over here. No, bodies are always complete. In a marriage, there's no longer two individuals, but rather one entity. And just so we're all on the same page because of the society we live in, when I say the word marriage, let me tell you what I'm referring to. I'm referring to a public, legal covenant between one biological man and one biological woman, all Bible Christians reject anything else. These so-called alternative lifestyles are not alternative at all. They are not biblical. Then this then makes marriage the most unique of all relationships. There is a level of intimacy, both physically, of course, but mentally and emotionally and spiritually that is unsurpassed in any other relationship. And so in one verse in the book of Proverbs, we're going to see six aspects of a joyful marriage. The text is Proverbs chapter 12 and verse number 4. This is wise advice God gives through a godly man by the name of Solomon. And so let's read this verse together, if you would, please. Romans chapter 12, we're going to read it out loud. It'd be good to kind of hear it, even hear yourself say it. All right, ready to begin. A virtuous woman is a crown to her husband, 
but she that maketh ashamed is as rottenness in his bones. Now, to say a word about the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is unique in Scripture. It accomplishes something that no other book does, maybe outside of uh, Ecclesiastes or something like that. But it compiles short instructions for effective, wise living, often in one verse or two or three verses. It is instructing people on the wise choice. Actually, you could say doing things the way Christ would do them. It is practical righteousness in all things. And let me just say as we begin this morning, this morning's talk is going to be very straightforward. It is going to be friendly in a fireside kind of chat way. But I like what Paul said about pastors in 1 Timothy 1, 5 and verse 1. He said, entreat your elder or your pastor as a father or treat him as a father. And so this morning, if you will allow me to be your spiritual father and allow me to talk with you as though we're just chatting around the fireside and I'm going to give you some principles that are very important, but they're direct. I'm not going to beat around the bush. I know you wouldn't want that anyway. All right. Principle number one, a good marriage is a place of sanctity and honor. A unique and exclusive sanctity comes to real marriage. It is sacred. It is blessed. In that relationship we know as marriage. Notice what the verse says, a virtuous woman. And that would certainly mean a virtuous man too. These scriptures are not just for the woman or just for the man. As the old saying goes, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. But here in these verses, it says a virtuous woman or a virtuous man. In this case, it says that a wife is a crown to her husband. Now, what does a crown suggest to you? I think very clearly it suggests a throne. It suggests a kingdom. It suggests royalty. Have you ever heard the statement, a man's home is his castle? Well, that's an old familiar quote. And it suggests that a home is a place where people can have things the way they like it. It's their place, and so it's their castle. That's what makes the home unique. You know, there's no other place where you get to have things like you like it. I mean, you go out to eat, you don't get to have things exactly like you like it. You go to the store, you don't get it exactly like you like it. You go to work, no, you don't get the things like you like it. And in the government, no, you never get things the way you like it. I read somewhere this week, someone asked, what's the difference between death and taxes? A wise guy answered, well, Congress doesn't meet every year to make death worse. <laughs> we don't get things the way we like it in the government or in the world. But having a home as your castle is a huge blessing. And a good and godly make makes that happen. With them faithfully by your side, you go through life as though you're a king or a queen. You might get beat down in this old world, but when that long day is done and you step wearily into your house, you are royalty. The Bible describes the first marriage 6,000 years ago, and it uses it, a great word there. Look at Genesis chapter 2 in verse number 20. It uses the word helper. You might say a crown, someone who just really is such a help. Here Eve is called a helpmeet. Genesis 2 and verse 20, Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the fowls of the air, and to 
every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helpmeet for him, or a helpmeet for him, or proper for him, something. I mean, he had animals, and dogs are nice, and all the animals are nice, but they're not meat for him, not suited best for him. Help. The word help there means to surround, to protect, or to aid somebody. And so God created Eve to come along Adam to be his other half, as they say, to be an aid or to be a helper to him. Even Jesus validated the very unique nature of marriage in Matthew chapter 19, verse 24, excuse me, verse 19, chapter 19, verse 6, wherefore there are no more twain, but one flesh. Here we have the Son of God saying the same thing, no more two, but one. What therefore God hath joined together, by the way, that's an important phrase. In one flesh relationship, God, there's a spiritual togetherness that God does. I don't know exactly what it all is, but I can tell you those who are married to someone who they're spiritually connected to can tell you that is a uniqueness. Let not anybody put asunder. Now, here, God is reminding us again that we are one flesh. And so, this virtue, this honor, this crowning is something that we help our mate with. When a husband, for example, speaks in a loving and gentle way, he is crowning his wife. When a wife speaks in a respectful and honoring tone to her husband, they are crowning their husband with the honor due his position. The home then becomes kingly or queenly. And while women and men have profound, innate biological differences, Everybody appreciates respect and honor. A godly home, then, is a place of honor and sanctity where you're treated with dignity and respect. I say that again. A good home is a place where your husband or your wife treats you with dignity and respect. The great apostle clarified how important love and respect is in relationships. In fact, he said it's really something we owe everybody. In Romans chapter 13 and verse 7, he said, Render therefore all to their dues, honor to whom honor. Are we honoring that mate of ours? Are we honoring that person? At age 26, Pat Moore performed in a fascinating experience. She's an author, and she wrote of it in the book Disguised. She was an industrial designer and she wanted a better understanding of senior adults that might help her in her work. And so for three years, she frequently disguised herself as an 85-year-old woman. She found a professional makeup artist, visited 116 cities throughout 14 states, two Canadian provinces, and she would go out there in this elderly persona. From her experience, she estimates that one, tragically, one in 25 senior adults is actually abused. It's crazy, sad, terrible. But she was impressed, actually, with the compassion and care that she received mostly from people who were fellow senior adults. And I've seen the same. However, the dismissal and the occasional harsh treatment from others was just troubling. So here's a woman disguised as an older person and getting 
an understanding of what they might be facing. Now, where am I going with this illustration? Imagine for a moment it were possible that somehow someone could dress up as your wife or as your husband. They could disguise themselves successfully from you for a day. But at the end of the day, they would reveal that they are not, in fact, your husband or your wife. I wonder how we would feel how we treated that person all day long. The fact of the matter is we are being watched by God. And our beloved mate deserves our honor and respect. A good marriage is a place of sanctity and honor. A husband has, is there with a crown. The same thing is true for the wife. Number two, attitudes and actions are either a public rebuke or praise. Notice it says that the woman is crowning her husband. We are crowning our mate with our actions or our attitudes. We are either crowning them or we are taking the crown off of them. We are making them look better or we're saying, no, I'm not going to make you look better. We might say we are either crowning them or we're a crown or a crumb. It's one or the other. But you know, a crown itself doesn't make a person a king or a queen, but it is a sign that honor has taken place. It only reflects the position that's been bestowed. And so a wife's responsibility, a husband's responsibility, is to be the crown for their mate. Sour attitudes, for example, are crowns. They're an outer reflection of inner feelings who my mate is. When my attitude is sour, I'm saying publicly, because I'm their crown, my mate is sour. The question then is today, how do you crown your mate when you're out in public, when you're socializing? I remember one dear couple we had dinner with once years ago. The dear sister was overtly demeaning in her correction and pointing out faults of her husband. Now, I'm assuming that her actions were just a temporary off day for her. I hope they were. But I thought, how incredibly sad to be so demeaning publicly of your husband. The same thing is true for men. They angrily will demean their wife. Now, brothers and sisters, here's what I've come to know. For example, for myself, if I'm able to serve the Lord in the ministry, much of the credit goes to my wonderful wife. And I'm so thankful for that. She, thank you, she takes off her own needs to take care of our home so that I can serve the Lord. It is a very spiritual thing to do what she does. If I have energy, if I'm not always sick, it's my wife who gets the kudos because she's been planning balanced and healthy meals and she makes me eat kale. <laughs> I don't let anybody know this, but the other day I was at Chick-fil-A and I had a kale salad. <laughs> Can you imagine southern fried chicken, gravy, and kale salad? <laughs> Chick-fil-A's going woke. I know it. There's no doubt about it. But if I'm at peace tonight, if I have a gentle spirit, it's my wife is to be honored because she has met my intimate needs by her actions daily, by her actions. She is crowning me with honor, and I'm so grateful for that. Now, sister, your husband willingly provides the housing and the food and transportation. 
It may not be a Mercedes, but you know your basic needs are met. You ought to praise him. Even if you're making money and bringing income into the home, amen, that's great. But the husband bears that bottom line responsibility, and so he should be crowned. And I would note this morning that a crown is the first thing that people see. If you both walk into a room and your mate is the crown, they will look at your mate first. Our eyes immediately go to both. You don't realize that, but we always do that. We look at both. If you look at one and they're happy and you look at the other and their face is drawn down and they're sad, we're like, oh, what's going on? Our mate is our crown. Our eyes are drawn to the crown. Because a person can shake my hand and they can act all happy and they can seem like, well, this, they're a good person. But if I look at their crown and the crown says something else, I'm thinking something's going on there. And so my tone, my facial expressions, the things that I do, all are a reflection on my mate. Because we're one. You say, well, I'm my own person. Well, when you get married, the Bible says you become one. And therefore, we should be a positive reflection on our mate. Now, this respect, this positive reflection, is not only spouse to spouse, and not only should it be spouse to the people that are around us, but we should be a crown in front of our children as well. For example, if your children sass one of the other parents, they ought to be corrected right away by the other parent. Don't let anybody sass that other parent. You say, no, that's not how we do it in this family. I've told you before the story, but I'll tell you it again. One day as an elementary age boy, I got the big idea. I would call my mom the old lady. I'd heard some tough-talking little boys say something like that, and it sounded really cool to me. And so I went home, and I used that phrase in front of my dad to my mom. My dad looked at me with a glaring look, and though he didn't say it, I knew what he was thinking. I did not believe what you just said. And his uh, steel blue eyes narrowed down, and his lips thinned down to about razor thin. And that uh, Scotsman began to look at me. I realized I was a dead man. And um, from that day forward, I will tell you, I, since I value my life, I said to myself, I will never say that again, and I did not. Our home is to be crowned with honor. And so we should make sure we crown our mate by showing them public respect. And we should make sure that the children show them public respect. And it should be more than just theory. It should be practical. As Titus said in chapter 1 and verse 16, they profess that they know God. But in works they deny Him. And so it's easy to talk the religious talk, but... How do we do it? It's just an everyday life. I was interested in a study that focused on the family put together. They researched more than 500 family counselors. Not all of them were biblical counselors. But they came up with a list of the seven top traits of successful families. Now, you can get these online here, but uh, I'll put them up very quickly because the last one is the one I'm interested in. But the successful families communicate and listen to each other. That makes sense. They develop a sense of trust. And they have each other's back. Not in evil, of course, but uh, they, they have trust. 
They have a sharing time and they communicate and they have responsibilities. They know right from wrong. They teach morals. They have rituals, healthy rituals and traditions. They share a religious core, very important, have a spiritual core, and they respect one another. They respect one another. That's the crown. It is a visible sign that the other person is a person of worth, a crown to her husband. We want to be a crown to our husband or wife. We want to be someone that says that person is a great person. A good marriage is a place of sanctity and honor. Number two, its actions and attitudes are either a public rebuke or praise. Number three, strong Christians make for strong marriages. Notice what it says again in Proverbs 12, verse 4. It's a virtuous woman. It just doesn't say a woman. It says it's a virtuous woman or a woman with virtue. Crowns belong to virtuous people. A person is not virtuous, they're not going to be a crown. They're not going to be somebody who adds to the beauty and the value of the marriage and the home. I want you to notice the integrity and moral fiber of this woman. She has an upstanding husband in their personal world. These are people of the Word of God. They're in the Bible. They may not be a great theological expert, but boy, they love their Bible. Just like I saw this wonderful young man out here before the service. He was there in the coffee shop reading his Bible. And you know, that's a beautiful thing about coming to church and just you're in the Word of God. And I commend you for coming and I commend you for watching because Anybody can just sit around and do whatever, but taking your time out to be in the Word, God bless you for that. And consistently coming to first day worship services, very important. That's virtue. That's called virtue. You're committed to the things of God. This woman had virtue. And when we realize we've been saved from hell, we ought to give all the virtue we can to our Lord and Savior. Our mates need a husband or a wife that is radically connected to God. We need each other. That's why the book of Ecclesiastes says two are better than one because if one gets cold, the other can warm the other up. Now, there's a physical sense to that, but I'm very sure that that's referring also to spiritually. It's impossible to always be spiritually up. And so we need to encourage one another. My wife will share something she read or heard with me, maybe even a song. And occasionally I will ask her, honey, what's the good word? You know, pastors need encouragement too. Everybody needs encouragement. And so we ought to give each other a good word. That's virtue. Virtue strengthens the other person. Spiritual integrity and virtue is, the other day, it's kind of me like a battery. I put this external battery onto my almost dead iPhone, and boy, it just, just sucked up that power, and it was good to go. You know, we need to be batteries, external batteries for our loved ones, that they can be just get along and go for even a lot longer. In our private life, we need to be true to the things of God, but also in our public life. A good Christian husband has virtue. He has good work ethics. He provides security for the home, and he keeps an eye on the household income. Virtuous wives are resourceful. They're good savers. They help in all things. And certainly they're faithful in church and in ministry. 
They take their God-given tasks as sacred duties. I'm convinced that if a couple is having marital issues, then the key is that they would both strive for virtue. Each one get as spiritual and as close to God as they possibly can. Two people close to the Lord have a much greater possibility of having happiness than if just one is. And I, even if their compatibility, natural compatibility is not what you'd like it to be, somehow if they are both close to the Lord, their spiritual hearts will make things work. God tells us that we can even love our enemies. Well, if we can love our enemies, we can certainly love our mate. Now, I know in some cases we feel like that's the same person. But the Bible says we ought to have virtue. That's why in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, God says, giving all diligence, the first thing that you add to your faith is virtue. Top priority. When you get saved, go for virtue. Go for character and integrity and goodness and dignity and honor and purity. Those are the building blocks of a good marriage. By the way, those are building blocks for a good society as well. We see the opposite of a civil and virtuous society going on in the Gaza Strip today where Islamic sects are raping children and women and babies are beheaded. These terrorists say they want freedom, they want their rights. But I think Ronald Reagan nailed it when he said this. There can be no freedom without order and there is no order without virtue. Without virtue, we need virtue. Virtue strengthens not only a society, but it is civilizing to a marriage. Strong Christians make for strong marriages. Number four, there is a one woman, one man commitment. Let's look at this verse more closely. It's a virtuous woman. She's a crown. She's a public praise to her husband. And the same is true for a husband to his wife. He's a public uh, crown. And people look at him and say, boy, you've got a great wife. People look at her and say, boy, you've got a great husband. A crown. But notice what it says. A virtuous woman is a crown to her husband. It clearly states that she is a crown to her husband. Not another person's husband, but her husband. Therefore, the opposite is also true. It is his wife. That is, his eyes are only for her. That means that her eyes are only for him. The question I would ask you this morning, brother, is this. Where are your eyes? Are your eyes only for your wife or your eyes somewhere else? A woman's heart is only for her husband. And so I would ask today, sister, where is your heart? I wonder, sister, does your friend have your heart? Or does your husband have your heart? I'm checking in this morning, brother. Does your mom have your heart? Or have you given your heart to your wife? Or perhaps maybe someone at work has your heart. You have a work husband, as they say, or a work wife. But the Bible is very clear. It is her husband. It is his wife. You know, one of the Ten Commandments talks about covetousness. Have you ever thought how interesting it is that that's the only, it's the only commandment that's uh, all about the inside attitude? 
And one of the things that God specifically talks about is wanting somebody else's husband or wife. That is having eyes for somebody else. My friend, we are never, ever to allow ourselves even a second thought of a self-delusional fairy tale that somehow I would be better off with that person. Godly contentment is this. Write this down. It is recognizing that everything I need for happiness, I right now possess. Godly contentment is meaning that recognizing that everything I need for happiness, I right now already have. Folks, you don't have to have anything else to make you happy. That's what godly contentment is. Now you say, well, you can't wish for anything. No, that's wrong to wish for things. To wish is to be human. God created us with passions and desires. And actually a good wish can be a forerunner of positive change. We well remember Psalm 37 and verse 4. It says, delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the wishes or the desires of your heart. Now, this is not a carte blanche that anything you want, like some name it and claim it televangelist says, if you'll send me $100, I'll guarantee you'll get whatever you want. No, it means this. It means when, you, when pleasing the Lord is your greatest joy, He changes your wishes. He changes your desires to desire and to wish what He wants. Therefore, He can give that promise. I'll give you what you want as long as what you want is what I want. <laughs> That's what he's saying. When you wish a desire or what the Lord wants, then it's awesome. There has never been a day, friend, when temptation has been so convenient and so wide-ranging as it is today. There are apps and websites for virtually anything you want to do or get into. According to EarthWeb, 20% of men married men, and 13% of married women say they have cheated on their spouse with a physical affair. That's shocking. But if you think that's shocking, listen to this. The Truth About Deception Project has been conducting a survey with 95,000 participants so far. And listen, a whopping 91% of women and 77% of men have admitted to an emotional affair. And where does that most often occur? 60% of the time, it occurs at the workplace. Now, I'm convinced, of course, that there's a great margin of error, especially in the lives of believers. I'm sure it's not as crazy as that. But I will tell you, if it's anywhere even close, it's terrible. There must be no one or nothing that comes between the intimacy of myself and my wife and you and your husband, it is our highest priority. Our eyes, our commitment should be 100% to them. And that's what it says here. It is her husband. She knows who her husband is. Barbara Bush, the former first lady, gave a commencement address. And I like what she said. She was a no-nonsense gal for sure. Here's what she said at this commencement address. As an important Obligation as a doctor or lawyer or a business leader, your human connections with your spouse, your children, your friends are your most important investment you'll ever make. At the end of your life, you will never regret 
not having passed one more test, not winning one more verdict or closing one more deal, that you will regret time not spent with your spouse. It's that closeness to them that makes life so special. May God give us a determined, single-hearted commitment to our mate. A good marriage is a place of sanctity and honor. It is very unique because it's a one relationship that is so special. Number two, attitudes and actions are either a public rebuke or praise. And number three, they make for strong Christians, make for strong marriages. Number four, there is a one woman, one man commitment. And then number five, each is supportive of the other role. Now, if you want to do the family and marriage God's way, you support the biblical roles as Scripture speaks of them. You cannot read Proverbs 12.4 without realizing there's some definite duties and responsibilities defined. Notice what it says. It says the husband is depicted as the head and the wife is the crown. Now to say that the husband is the head is definitely countercultural, but it's a great picture actually. A crown cannot function without a head. But a head just doesn't have the same influence without a crown. The head suggests leadership. Not something negative, but leadership. The idea here is the captain of the ship. Maybe the shepherd of the flock. In all things, a husband should realize he is the spiritual leader. Now, he's also the leader in other areas, but certainly spiritual. And that's what I would like to think about this morning. You know, when the Holy Spirit decided to give to the great Apostle Peter a great lesson on what a pastor should be like, by the word, the word pastor means shepherd, we could use that as a father, shepherd of a home. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse number 2, it says, feed the flock. So spiritually, every shepherd, every pastor is to feed the flock that's among you. And then notice this phrase, taking the oversight. That means the leadership. Take it. Take it, brother. By the way, not sister. There's no such thing as a lady pastor in Scripture. It's just not there. Take the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly. And then it goes on to talk about why. Now, he is to take it. That means he is to take responsibility for the doctrine of the ministry. He's to take responsibility for the direction of the ministry. He is to take the leadership. That means don't be passive. In like manner, the husband, the captain of the ship, the shepherd, the pastor of the home should willingly and actively assume the God-given role of a spiritual leader. Now, you don't have to be a religious Brambo and, you know, shove the Bible down people's throat. I'm not talking about that. You don't have to be a theological scholar that knows everything in the Bible. But we do need to be lovingly firm in serving God. Husbands, fathers, you need to tell your family what to do spiritually. For example, we're going to have Bible time tomorrow morning or tonight, whatever your schedule is best. You just tell them that's what we're going to do. We're going to take 10 minutes or 15 minutes and I'm going to read the Bible and then I'm going to say a couple words 
And if you want to sing a little song, that's good. If you want to pray together, that's really good. But uh, maybe do that a couple times a week or maybe work up to three or four. But family Bible time is one of the best things you can do. You'd say, well, we just don't have it. Well, husbands, fathers, take the oversight. You're the shepherd. You're the pastor of the family. Take it. You ought to have a schedule that your children, it's best for them to seek the Lord. Make sure there's a time when you have dinner all together if you possibly can. Having dinner together is one of the best things you can do. Where you all sit around the table, you eat together, you chat a little bit, but you need to make that happen, brother. I mean, you just talk to your wife, figure out what the best time is, and then you just let everybody know, okay, dinner's at 6 or 5.30 or 7, or if you live in Spain, 9 o'clock, whatever time, you know, it is, but that's, you're going to do it. You take it. You make it happen. That means if you want nice music playing in your home, you need to make it happen. Get some nice music and get it on the radio or get it on the CD or the your MP5 player or whatever it is, but you take it. The idea is that the husband takes the leadership, the husband, the father, consistently, gently, over the long haul. You say, well, what if my wife won't follow? She will, guaranteed, 99% at least. And uh, no, she will. The fact of the matter is, uh, if you can't get your family to listen, brother or sister, then here's what I would do. I would, first of all, check your own heart because there's something there. And the children sense it. There's, there's something there. And they sense it. And if they sense it, they're going to test you. And by the way, this point I'm making is a tremendous refiner's fire. It will make you gold, I promise you. Because the day that you chose to get married, you chose this huge situation of leading. That's not an easy thing, but it's a wonderful thing. Now, your wife will shine if you'll be the head. Now, let me just say to the dear wives, if your husband takes the lead, support him and do so cheerfully. You'd say, well, he is, doesn't know the Bible. It really doesn't make any difference. If he's willing to try, support him with all of his imperfections, let God work on his heart, reject an independent spirit, get behind him and be his crown. The husband's leadership in Scripture is absolutely clear and definite. Do not listen to these wacko left-wingers who are trying to break down this beautiful complementarian theology in Scripture. He is accountable to God. Therefore, you need to get behind him and help him. The fact of the matter is, I think there are a lot of husbands who would be willing to be the leader. But... Trying to lead in their home is like trying to walk in a hurricane. Their wife just doesn't support them, and it's hard to make any headway. The opposite is also true. Sometimes women would love to see their husband, but he won't take the leadership. And so I would just say, wives, just support your husband, and anything spiritual he does, boy, you just get behind him and be the cheerleader. You just say, children, we're going to go have Bible time. You want to have the best home you've ever had, I tell you what, you just tell your wife, tomorrow morning, 7 o'clock, we're going to have family Bible time. 
your wife's going to look at you and give you the biggest kiss you ever had. I will tell you for sure. The truth is, you know, when we get married, uh, uh, people say the beautiful tradition, English tradition is, we say for better, for worse. I thought about that statement a lot. And, you know, the fact of the matter is, I think oftentimes we make our marriages better or we make them worse. And I would suggest that we make them better by having these values. You know, you can't change God's rules, but you certainly can change your reaction. And then finally, we would avoid an unholy life. Stay clear of it like the plague. You can't read the last part of this verse without just your eyes and your heart just feeling ashamed. She that maketh ashamed is as rottenness in his bones. The opposite is also true. A husband that maketh ashamed is like rottenness in your bones. The sinful, unbiblical life of a mate is like a miserable sickness to your marriage. You know, medical science tells us that it's in the bones, the marrow of the bones, that supports disease-fighting capabilities. There is one disease that rots the bone, and it um, is worldliness and sinfulness. Tell you what, God says that this kind of a lifestyle just just tears up a home and tears up a marriage. Let me suggest to you four unholy influences that rot out a marriage and just cause disease and destruction. And these are especially common and very destructive. First of all, a worldly spirit. When a husband or wife gets captured by carnality, it affects so many areas. Let me just give one suggestion this morning. Gambling. You know, it has become epidemic in America. I just thought of it this week because for the first time in, I think, years, I watched 30 minutes of a pregame show for football on Thursday night. And my grandsons and I were hanging out for a little while, and so we watched the Denver Broncos there and Kansas City Chiefs for a few moments. But it was all the pregame show. I mean, the hype made my head swim and so much of it was about gambling in fact i remember one specific ad that said put five dollars and receive 200 i mean that's what it said i thought well man that's a good deal five bucks and you get 200 dollars. well man i'm gonna text that that was for draft kings so i decided this week to kind of investigate that a little bit you realize over the last five years, there has been an explosion of betting apps, online sports betting, DraftKings, FanDuel, Caesars. These are now replacing, for the most part, illegal betting venues. And the number of gamblers is just incredible. In fact, for Super Bowl, they estimate over 50 million people gamble. They don't have to place a bet with a bookie anymore. They can just go to this app. And it's very addictive, especially to young men, because there's an illusion of control. They get to say, well, how many yards will they make? Or So they bet on things, and they think that their brains can figure that out. I want you to know there are thousands, tens of thousands, there are hundreds of thousands of wives and families that have been destroyed by the husband who is addicted to gambling. 
And my friend, if you are addicted to that stuff, stop it and stop it now. It is it is terrible thing to do to your children and your wife, them sitting there eating some mayonnaise sandwich while you're gambling away that money. It is terrible. Don't do it. Out there clubbing and drinking up, folks. We need to have better lives than that kind of stuff. It is a worldly spirit, and we should not subject our family to it. Number two, slothfulness is a terrible blow to a family. Now, this might surprise you. You might think, what does a lazy spirit, why is it so difficult on a family? Well, let me get very practical here. You know, for example, when a husband or wife is slothful in the area of their appearance, it can foster a deep unhappiness. I can tell you many a fellow who admitted to me he just is unattractive to his wife. Wives, you need to especially remember something. Men are hardwired with masculine eyeballs. And those eyeballs are visually stimulated. And this may not sound real spiritual, but sister, do not wear a robe or bedclothes that have been through the meat grinder. Give that guy a break, please. And brothers, you don't need to let yourself go. Realize they're sitting on the, week, on the couch all weekend, looking like something the cat drug in, smelling like it too. That's not very attractive to your wife. You'd say, well, pastor, that doesn't sound like theology. Well, I'll tell you. It may not be theology, but I will tell you, it is practical living that will help your family. Slothfulness can, slothfulness can creep in in so many areas. Our appearance, our work ethic. Uh, we shouldn't be slothful vocationally. There is a third thing this morning, and that is extravagances. Materialism just kills the spirit of our mate. Here's a guy just working so hard to just bring in income, and his wife is just addicted to credit card spending, just more stuff, more stuff, more stuff. It just sucks the life out of your mate. I read something a few weeks ago. The date is August 2nd or 8th. The most recent data from the Federal Reserve Bank of New York, for the first time, Americans now have racked up more than $1 trillion of credit card debt. That will not end well for America, and it will not end well for our family if we're just racking up credit card debt. You don't need more stuff. Cash is king. Cash is king. You can do it. And then number four, lust. Lust is a gut punch. It is a low blow. There is nothing more betraying to un than unfaithfulness. An unfaithful husband, a lustful husband, is a great grief to a godly wife. The Bible says she is a weaker vessel. It just means more sensitive. She has just a more deeper sense about things. And as a result of that, it wounds her much more deeply than men might think. An unfaithful husband is a great grief to a godly wife. An unfaithful wife is a great agony and disappointment to a good man. It's a terrible thing. The Bible says it's like rottenness. A marriage when one is just so worldly. Friends, we don't want to be like that. And I, this morning, just beg our church to pull up to virtue. I close with this story 
well-known black pastor, Dr. E.V. Hill of Central Los Angeles, very years ago, was preaching in the midst of a very incredible social upheaval. Being a man of God and being a pastor of the Bible, he was a voice for righteousness. He got threatening calls constantly. And one of them said they would kill him if he didn't stop. In fact, they said they would bomb his car if he didn't quit preaching on the Bible. Well, he went out the very next day to get in his car, undeterred, when he noticed his car was not there. And just as he walked out, he saw his wife driving up in the car. He ran out to her and said, what are you doing? And she looked him in the eye. She said, honey, I wanted to make sure that there was no bomb in this car. No bomb that's going to get you. I'm going to protect you. That's a crown. That's a crown to her husband. That's a crown to our wife. And may God help us to be a crown and a joy to those around us. She was willing to take the blast. There's someone else I would like to draw your attention to this morning. And that is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ took our blast. He took our punishment so that you and I could have eternal life. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are We hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's Word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.